Thank you, Josh and team. Well, as Victor uh, has already mentioned, this morning we're starting a new series. And having spent much of the first half of the year uh, working our way through the Old Testament wisdom literature, for this second half of the year, we're going to spend much of that time working through some New Testament wisdom, um, and in particular, wisdom from the mouth of Jesus, as we're going to work our way through some of the parables of Jesus, and in particular, the parables that are recorded for us in the Gospel of Luke. Now, you might remember that much of the Old Testament wisdom literature consists of short, pithy sayings. And in the Old Testament, we know those as proverbs. But it also consists of stories, stories with meaning. And we call those parables. And we find, not surprisingly, that Jesus used both of these types of wisdom in his uh, teachings here on earth. So he, he was working in an established tradition of wisdom literature. And so we see um, many short, memorable sayings of Jesus. There's a few of them up there. Ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find. Knock and the door will be opened to you. Well, the Sabbath was made for man, not man for the Sabbath. Or whoever exalts himself will be humbled, and whoever humbles himself will be exalted. They are just a few of many of the short, pithy sayings of, of Jesus that are recorded for us in, in the Gospel records. But much of what Jesus taught us was through his use of parables. And indeed, about one-third of the recorded teachings of Jesus come to us in parable form. So why did Jesus choose this method of teaching? Well, apart from it being part of an established tradition of wisdom um, that was well known at the time, I suspect part of the reason is for exactly the same reason that many of us today still use stories in our teaching. Now, I am under no illusion that probably if I asked you to recount what I had said to you two weeks ago when I stood here, most of you probably wouldn't be able to tell me much at all. And that's okay. I probably couldn't tell you much at all about what you might have told me two weeks ago either had it been you standing out here. But many of you, and I know from the conversations that I've had this week, many of you remember the stories of my children getting lost at the show and people have come throughout the last two weeks telling me stories of their children getting lost in strange places um, and how they equipped their own children um, for when they, they got lost. So I can read you, lead you, you know, through the scriptures and explain the context and exegete the passage and talk about the original language and all of that sort of thing. But I know that most of it's going to go in one ear and, and out the other ear. But everyone loves a story. And so I suspect that 
that is pretty much the same reason why Jesus used stories, because people remember them. And that might have something to do with the fact of, why, of what is recorded for us of his teachings. A third of it is parables, because probably when the, the people who were taking an oral tradition of teaching and committing it to writing... As they're remembering the things that he's taught, probably the easiest things to remember were those that were taught in that parable form. So Jesus used stories just like we do that people could relate to, but he used them to invite people to see differently. The parables teach us primarily about the kingdom, the kingdom of God, the king of the kingdom, and how the people of the kingdom should live within that kingdom. Many of the parables begin the kingdom of heaven is like. Or to what shall we compare the kingdom? So these parables are a little bit like lenses. Lenses with which we sharpen our spiritual eyesight to help us see things with a kingdom perspective. But like lenses, they are only effective if you actually use them. Now many of you, I am sure, will have been to a 3D cinema. And many of you will have had the experience of taking young children to a 3D cinema. I used to, as a bit of a treat, take my children when they were quite young um, into the city to IMAX and take them to the cinema and then to the museum. Many parents have done it. But I quickly discovered, like many parents, that there's a certain age when it works at a 3D cinema. And if you go too early, it's going to go something like this. Parent fits the 3D glasses to the child's face and they all settle back to watch the movie. Child removes the 3D glasses, drops them on the floor. Parent retrieves 3D glasses from the floor, fits them back on the child's face. Child removes them and they're back on the floor again. Parent retrieves the 3D glasses, gives a long explanation about how the movie will make no sense unless they're wearing the 3D glasses and that it costs a lot of money to come to this cinema and then you really should put on the 3D glasses so you get your money's worth. Parent puts the 3D glasses back on the child, settles back for the movie. Child launches 3D glasses into the backs of the heads of the unsuspecting people in the row in front. Parent retrieves the glasses with the help of the people in the row in front, quietly folds them up and puts them away and resigns themselves to watching the movie on their own while the children feast on popcorn and just stare at a blurry screen. My kids for whatever reason, were quite happy to do that. Um, it didn't seem to matter to them that they couldn't really tell what was going on on the screen. If you wear the glasses, the image on the screen just seems to pop out. It has great depth and great clarity about it. But if you reject the glasses, you can't hope to get much from that movie because all you're going to see is a really blurry image. And that, I think, is very much like the reason that Jesus himself gives for why he taught using parables when his own disciples asked him, why do you teach 
using parables. And he said, the knowledge of the secrets of the kingdom of God has been given to you, but to others I speak in parables so that though seeing they may not see, though hearing they may not understand. The people were unwilling to receive the message of the kingdom. They didn't want to hear it. Their minds were closed. They were like the little child that just doesn't want to wear the glasses. So they would hear and see what the disciples heard and saw, but they would never get that same clarity of spiritual insight and understanding as the disciples did. So we're all going to try our best to keep our spiritual glasses on and may God sharpen your understanding and insight as we work our way through these parables between now all the way till December. So with that little introduction out of the way, we're going to return now to our, our parable for today, which is the wise and foolish builders. You'll find it in Luke chapter 6, verses 46 to 49. And if you've got Bibles with you, I'd like you to turn there. And I encourage you to try and bring your Bibles along as we work our way through all of these passages. Some of them are quite long and we may not be able to read them all in one sitting. And so it'll be important for you to have it there with you so that you can refer to it. But today it is particularly important. So if you've got your Bibles, open them up to Luke 6, 46 to 49. Why do you call me Lord, Lord, and do not do what I say? As for everyone who comes to me and hears my words and puts them into practice, I will show you what they are like. They are like a man building a house who dug down deep and laid the foundation on rock. When a flood came, the torrent struck that house but could not shake it because it was well built. But the one who hears my words and does not put them into practice is like a man who built a house on the ground without a foundation. The moment the torrent struck that house, it collapsed and its destruction was complete. Now, before we go any further with this particular parable, I want us to get a bit of a feel for the context because in the case of this particular parable, the context really matters. It's important. So keep your Bibles open to Luke 6, 46 to 49. And apologies to all those of you who are working off a digital version. Digital is great for convenience, but there are some things that you just cannot do on digital, and this is one of them. It's very difficult to get a feel for context on a digital Bible. So if your Bible's digital, you might have to look up at the screens behind me for this little exercise. For those who've got paper copies, if you've got the letters of Christ in red, all the better. Um, that will help you even more. So this is this particular Bible here up on the screen. And what I want you to take note of is the position of where this particular parable falls. So you'll see it right there. And it's at the end of a very long section of red letters. 
which means it's at the end of a very long section of teaching from Jesus. At the start of that section, you find the Beatitudes. So we open with the Beatitudes, we close with this particular parable, and in between we have important teaching about what the kingdom of heaven is like and what the people of the kingdom of heaven, how they should interact with one another. So there's teaching in there about loving your enemies and about not judging others. Now if we flip over, we get even more insight if we flip over to the account of this parable in Matthew's Gospel. So if you've got your Bibles, feel free to do that. Matthew chapter 7, you'll find it, verses 24 to 27. And Matthew's Gospel highlights this point even further because what you'll see there is a whole lot more red. So it stretches over four pages of the Bible, all the red. You'll see our parable there right at the end. And right at the start, you'll find the Beatitudes, just as Luke had them. And in between, you've got a huge amount of teaching, and it's all kingdom stuff. It's all about the high standards of the kingdom and about how we should interpret the Old Testament law in terms of the kingdom of God. And so what we see is absolutely for sure, without a doubt, both gospel writers see that this particular parable that we're looking at today is intended as the conclusion to some very important teaching of Jesus. In Matthew's gospel, it's a sermon on the mount. In Luke's gospel, sometimes it's called a sermon on a plain because they talk about being on a mountain and then coming down to a flat area. Now, we don't know whether that means they were up high on the mountain and then they came to a bit of a plateau. And so maybe these two accounts could be the same accounts of the same teaching, but one's condensed and one's a bit more extended. But it's also very likely that Jesus taught these things on many occasions in many different ways locations and as the the writers have have remembered and put things together the one thing that they are both definite on is that this particular parable was intended as the conclusion and Matthew highlights that even further with one particular very important word he says therefore all these teachings happened therefore says Jesus Everyone who hears these words of mine and puts them into practice is like a wise man who built his house upon the rock. Now, unfortunately, in Australia, we are all very familiar with floods. Even if we haven't ourselves had personal experience of them, we have seen the tragedy that has been wrought on people, particularly over the last three years, as they have dealt with repeated seasons of flooding. So we can relate to this parable. But in Australia, usually what happens is when a, a river bursts, the water starts to inundate into the town, and it rises up 
and, and people will see it maybe at the end of their street. They can see the water levels got to the end of the street. What are we going to do? And then the water level might be to the, the first step of their house and then it starts creeping up the steps. And then at that point they, if not earlier, have to make a decision. Are they going to get out? Because it could be a dangerous situation like this one here. And so what happens is the, you know, the water fills the house, uh, the people's personal belongings are completely ruined and the house fills up with silt and all sorts of other yucky stuff as the water starts to recede. It's just a revolting mess. But generally in Australia, most of the houses, the structure of them remains intact. Everything inside might be ruined, but the structure generally remains intact because they are built on solid foundations and because this is the type of flooding that we see where the water creeps up. Now it doesn't always happen. I'm sure many of you can remember the images that went across our screen. I think it was 2021 um, of a house just floating away um, in, I think this was Taree um, somewhere. You know, a house was just floating past whoever was, was filming it. So it doesn't always happen in that particular way, but mostly in Australia, that is what happens and that's what floods are like. The house is ruined by water damage, but mostly it stays in place on the foundations and that's what we're used to. But having got some of that context from, well, the, the literary context or the biblical context of where this parable is placed, we need to think about what was Jesus actually imagining here when he talked about this torrent of water, this flood that came upon the two builders? What were his hearers imagining? Is this the type of thing that they were imagining or was it something else? Now Jesus, of course, was not walking around in outback or rural Queensland and New South Wales, the area that he was more familiar with was the Judean wilderness. And this was and still is a very different place to rural New South Wales and Queensland. It stretches from Jerusalem to Jericho and then onwards down to the lowest point on earth, the, the Dead Sea. Much of it is barren desert. It is dry, it is hilly, and very little grows there. But between the hills lie what we would call dry riverbeds. Over there they call them wadis. And that's a picture of what um, some of them look like. They're flat-bottomed, they can be quite sandy, and if you were travelling through this area and you were going to pitch a tent somewhere, this would seem like the ideal place to do it because of the location. This is, you know, you might easily walk through some of these areas on your way from one place to the other. The problem is, believe it or not, that in this particular area, the leading cause of death is not dehydration, it is actually drowning. 
And the reason is because of floods and the way the weather system and the floods operate in this place. So average rainfall in these particular areas might only be three inches per year, but that's average. You might go three years with no rainfall and then in the next year get three times your average rainfall and that can lead to flooding. But more often the deaths occur where the flooding is caused by rain that is happening somewhere else. So it might not even be raining in these areas, but in the western hill country of Judea, it is pouring. And because of the way the land is in those hilly areas, it's quite rocky. And the water doesn't have time to sink in. It runs down those slopes very quickly towards the, the Dead Sea. And when that happens, these dry riverbeds can receive just an absolute torrent of water down them in the space of minutes. So you can be standing in one or two centimetres of water and then you're washed away. And whenever this sort of event happens, often people die. 2018, 10 teenagers met their deaths in this way. They were out on a uh, a hiking trip um, that they did as part of their pre-military training, so it's compulsory military training over there and you do it when you're a, a teenager. Um, and they were out preparing for that and uh, 10 of them met their deaths when a torrent of water came rushing through on them. And it, it's not uncommon, sadly. So that, I believe, is the type of flooding event that Jesus and his listeners might have had in mind when he told them this story about the two types of builders. Why do you call me Lord, Lord, and do not do what I say? I will show you what he is like who comes to me and hears my words but does not put them into practice, says Jesus. He is like a man building a house who dug down deep and laid the foundation on rock. Now this is Wadi Quelt. It's a, a gorge, scenic gorge. It's in the Judean wilderness and it runs between Jerusalem and Jericho. It actually parallels the old road between there. So when we come to talking about the Good Samaritan, this is the type of country that we're talking about. Um, Along that particular gorge you will find this monastery and it's a monastery, a structure that has stood the test of time. It was built in 420. It was later destroyed in 614 AD by uh, the Persians and it was restored initially by the Crusaders and then it was finished off by some Greek monks. But in all of that time it has never been destroyed by floods that come through the area because those who built it chose to anchor it securely into the rock face. And you can see here, this is what it looks like when the floods come through that type of area. In 2014, 62 students and tourists had to be rescued 
from this particular gorge due to flash flooding. But the monastery throughout time has stood firm. It is a testament to the ancient builders who in their wisdom secured it firmly into the rock. Jesus said, when the floods came, the torrent struck that house, but could not shake it. Why? Because, he says, it was well built. Why was it well built? Because the man building the house had dug down deep. He had expended effort and energy to dig down deep to ensure that the foundation of that house was secured on rock. Now, it would have been far easier and far simpler to simply build on the flat, sandy ground, the ground that was at the surface. And these two builders could well have built two identical structures and no one would have known the difference because 99% of the time you can build there safely and it doesn't matter until the torrent comes and then what you have built will be tested. Now the teachings of Jesus that we find anchored between the Beatitudes and today's parable in both Gospels, they are hard teachings. They hold the people of God's kingdom to a very high standard. And the two people in today's parable, they had a choice. Hard work, digging the foundation down into rock, or just build the house without a foundation and hope for the best. Now, Jesus, of course, is not interested in giving us building advice. These parables are often considered by some to be earthly stories that have a heavenly meaning. So Jesus' intent is not to teach us about how to build a physical structure of a house. What he is doing is using things that are obvious and easily understood by his listeners the power of a flash flood and in that region and the necessity to dig deep and anchor on rock, he's using that to illustrate a spiritual concept. He introduced this story with, why do you call me Lord, Lord, and do not do what I say? Now, Jesus had taught the Beatitudes. He'd probably taught elements of what's contained in, in uh, the record from Matthew's Gospel and Luke's Gospel, he may have taught them on a number of occasions. And he's gone on and he's explained the values of the kingdom, he's explained what characterises people of the kingdom, and somewhere along the line he's noticed that it's not making any difference for a lot of people. They claim him as Lord but they're not ever doing what he says. They're happy to listen, maybe happy to follow along with the crowd, but don't ask them to change anything about their lives. They're not living 
a life of discipleship. They're like a child in a sporting team and those of you who've had children and had them in sporting teams will know how it works and you even see this characteristic in some adults in sporting teams as well but the child is keen to be in a sporting team. They really want to be in the team but they don't ever listen to what the coach is saying and as soon as the ball comes into their hands they want to be the ones to get it to the other end. They want to be the ones to kick the goal or, or shoot the basket. They're not interested in the lessons that the coach has taught them. And you can play like that for a little while. In fact, you might even be the top scorer in your team playing like that. You won't earn a lot of friends doing it that way, but you can be the top scorer until you come up against tough opposition. And all that opposition has to do is take out that one player and, you know, they've beaten the team. Because that person hasn't listened to what the coach is saying and actually applied it in the way that they play the game. These people that Jesus speaks of... They aren't producing the good fruit that is mentioned in the, the little bit of teaching just right before our parable for today in Luke's Gospel. What they are building will not last because when the flood comes, it's going to collapse and be completely destroyed. And just like those two builders, we have a choice to make as well. And it relates to what we are building in our own lives. We can choose to build on the high but often hard, difficult rock, the solid rock of Jesus' teaching. We can go down deep into his word or we can do away with the foundations altogether and just go along with our own desires and our own intellect and our own reasoning and worldly standards. So <clears throat> what can we learn from this particular parable? <coughs> I think the first thing that we can learn is that floods are inevitable. Jesus says when the flood came or when the torrent struck. He doesn't say if you happen to have a torrent come your way. It's when is the word used in this passage. Now many see these floods that Jesus speaks of as referring to difficult times in our lives, times of ill health, times of trauma, times of tragedy, times when we might have had relationship problems or job problems, um, traumatic events, death of someone that's close to us. And the more that we have built ourselves on that solid foundation of not just hearing but also of putting into practice God's word, the more likely we are to be able to prevail through some of these crises. And that's a, that's a valid interpretation but what we also find in the Bible is that floods are often associated with judgment. And what we also find is that many of the parables actually find their climax in the theme of 
judgment. So we need to also ask ourselves, when that final flood of God's judgment comes, what kind of foundation will it reveal in us? And that's the thing about foundations. They don't really matter until that point that they do matter. Bruce and I, uh, when we had our, our first home, it was a very basic home and there was no garage or carport associated with it. And so we decided um, to build one, to add one to the, to the house. And to keep the costs as low as possible, we did as much of the building as we possibly could ourselves. Now, anyone who's done that will know that that's a lot of hard work, especially for two people who have no experience in building. There was a lot to learn. And we spent absolutely ages digging trenches for the foundations. We tunnelled and tunnelled and time blew out because, of course, we broke a gas pipe and had to have emergency, you know, services come out and we broke the water pipe twice and had to deal with fixing all of that. But, you know, we learned as we went along. But we did a careful job. You know, we were getting the levels right and we got the little plastic cones and had all the, the reinforcement wire all cut up and laid nicely on the plastic cones so that it wouldn't be on the bottom but it'd be in the middle and give it lots of strength to our foundations. And then the concrete truck comes and you're running around like crazy trying to make sure that this bit doesn't set before that bit and you get it all done in time. When we were finished, that garage was the best part of our house. The rest of it was a bit so-so, but the garage, sometimes even today we drive past that house and go, oh, what a house, but the garage is great. <laughs> best garage in the neighbourhood. Even the building inspector was impressed when he came to inspect our foundations. But he was the only one who ever admired the foundations of that garage. And has anyone ever come round to your house and said, what great foundations this house has? No one says that. They look at all the cosmetic things. They don't see the foundations. And likewise, in this parable, the foundations were completely hidden until the flood. So when the floods come, those difficult times, what kind of foundation will they reveal in you? Have you merely been a hearer of all of the teachings of Jesus? Or have you actually implemented them in your life and built your life upon them? Now, John Stott has a little book called The Message of the Sermon on the Mount, and in it I think he has one of the best statements I've ever read about this sort of thing. He says, the Bible is a dangerous book to read and the church is a dangerous society to join. Why does he think that? Well, he says, because when we read the Bible and we hear the words of Christ and then we join the church, we are saying to one and all, 
that we believe in Christ. We believe those words that we've heard and that we've been taught. And so that makes us part of the group that Jesus talked about at the beginning of this parable. The group that not only heard his teachings, but also called him Lord. And that brings with it very serious responsibility. The very serious responsibility of ensuring that what we know and what we say translates to what we actually do. If he is your foundation, then you can rest assured that what has been built in your life will stand firm through any torrent that life can pour out on it. And when that ultimate flood of judgment comes, if you have built your life upon that foundation of Christ and his word, if you've been not only a hearer, but also a doer of his word, then you have absolutely nothing to fear. Because destruction only comes to the house with no foundation. And you will stand firm on Christ, the solid rock. Let's pray. Father God, we thank you for sending Jesus to walk this earth, to bring forth your kingdom, and to teach us all about that kingdom. Some of his teachings are very hard for us. And at times it is very tempting for us merely to listen, but not to let them change us. Help us to be wise builders who choose to build only on Christ, the solid rock, so that what we build in our lives, Lord, will stand the test of time. Amen. We're going to stand and sing. Josh is going to lead us in, in Christ alone. Uh, with the solid rock.